Welcome to Grim Gossip. Before we start the show, I want to give a proper warning. The episode you are about to hear may include grim details about assault, rape, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Today's case is about David and Louise Turpin and their 13 children. Growing up, David was a quiet, shy, and nerdy kid. He never really hung out with others and was never a troublemaker. Louise and her sisters, on the other hand, were sexually abused by a family member who paid their parents to allow this. Their excuse for allowing this abhorrent behavior was because their parents needed to feed and clothe them. David and Louise met in high school, where they fell in love, but David was seven years older than her. Despite their age difference, Louise's mother, Phyllis, let them date behind her husband, Alan's back. Phyllis thought that David was a nice Christian boy, and she trusted Louise to make good decisions. Louise and David were both a part of a religious club in school and followed all of the readings. David graduated from high school in 1979 and went on to go to college at Virginia Tech while Louise was still attending Princeton High School. One day, David went to the high school to try to take Louise out of school for the day, and he was successful. The faculty released Louise to David, and they ran away to Texas, but they were stopped by police before they could make it. When they found out that Louise had been reported missing, they called her parents immediately. Louise's mother requested for her to be brought home, but her father said that if this is the choice she wants to make, then she'll have to live with her decision which was basically the approval for them to be together. David and Louise married later that year in 1985, when Louise was just 16 years old. After three years, they gave birth to their first child, Jennifer, in 1988. Three years later, after David graduated from Virginia Tech with an engineering degree, he got a job with Lockheed Martin in Fort Worth, Texas. The two lovebirds uprooted their little family and moved into a nice, large home in 1991. In 1992, they gave birth to their second child, Joshua. At this point, Jennifer was five years old and in school. She had a hard time making friends and couldn't understand why. They made fun of her, called her names, and isolated her because she looked weird and smelled bad. Eventually, she was pulled out of public school to begin homeschooling, but there was no schooling happening at home. This would be the same from here on out for the rest of the Turpin children. Between 1993 and 1999, Louise went on to birth five more children, Jessica, Jonathan, Joy, Julianne, and Jeanette, giving them a total of seven kids by 99. Louise stated that God had called on them to have as many children as they can. The kids never left the house, though. They weren't allowed to go outside, and they were barely eating. They were forced to refer to their parents as only mother and father, never anything else. No other variations on those titles. By 99, their home in Fort Worth went into foreclosure. David and Louise didn't pack anything except for the kids. 
The new owners who bought the house said that the house was a complete wreck. The carpets were caked in dirt, the white walls were mostly gray because of the dirt, and there were scratch marks on the doors, which they believed to have been from household pets. David and Louise left and bought a new house in Rio Vista, just south of Fort Worth, with more land and much more seclusion. For years, they lived in the house seemingly normally, but by 2007, they had had five more children. Janetta, James, Joanna, Jolinda, and Jalissa, bringing their grand total to 12 kids. At this point, David and Louise decided to purchase a trailer to put in the backyard where the kids were made to live. Eventually, David and Louise were leaving their kids alone in that trailer so that they could take vacations. Jennifer was the oldest and was forced to watch her siblings, their parents only stopping by once a week to drop off groceries, which was never enough to feed them all. However, David and Louise took the two youngest with them wherever they went, leaving Jennifer to take care of her other nine siblings. When they began to starve, they started to forage for food, but there wasn't much, so they resorted to eating old packets of condiments, grass, and sucking on ice cubes just to stay alive. When their parents were away, sometimes when the kids had the courage, they would play in the yard, still trying to be mindful of not being seen. One time, a neighbor did see them and asked what their names were, but no one answered, and the Turpin kids slinked away in fear of reprisals from their parents if they had said or done the wrong thing. It was clear the Turpin kids weren't showering or eating at this point. They were all stick skinny and incredibly dirty. They wore the same clothes every day, never washing them or themselves. The couple began to shy away from their religious beliefs, only reciting the Bible to their children in order to keep them in line. They began going out and attending swingers parties. Louise would go on gambling benders and shopping sprees, even though they didn't have money. She even bought tons of toys that the kids were not allowed to touch and clothes that fit them but were not allowed to wear. Everything still had their tags on it. It even went as far as David and Louise enjoying takeout while the kids watched them eat. The fridge was filled with food, but the kids weren't allowed to eat any of it. If they were caught, they were punished with beatings, strangulation, being locked in a room, chained to a bed, further starvation, or being thrown. Sometimes the kids were beaten until they bled. Eventually, the fridge was padlocked. David and Louise would tell the kids that they were poor because the kids kept stealing. Eventually, they got the kids to police one another. The kids started telling on each other whenever one of the other kids would do something wrong in order to curry more favorable actions from their parents. Jennifer was even forced to be the one to feed her siblings, making them one sandwich each, then calling them one by one to eat it there at the counter, then go back to their respective spaces to be invisible. It was the one meal a day they were allowed. The kids' living situation began to get worse. While they were locked in their rooms, they were only allowed to sit, 
whether they were chained or not. This caused serious muscle deterioration. Their neighbors would later state that the Turpins lived in squalor, so bad that they all moved into the double-wide trailer in the back because the main home became too dirty for them to stay in. In 2010, the Turpin family once again abandoned their home in Texas. The next owners of the house would later share that the carpets were caked in poop and there was nothing salvageable in the house. They said it took three months, fumigation, and about an additional $35,000 to bring the house into livable conditions. David and Louise uprooted their family of 14 and relocated to Paris, California, where the family moved into another large home, another new prison for the kids. Here, David began working at Northrop Grumman, another major league defense corporation, bringing in around $140,000 annually. They registered their so-called homeschool, which they named Sandcastle Day School. David was listed as the principal, and Louise was listed as a homemaker, making her a teacher in their homeschool. In 2011, the Turpins filed for bankruptcy, filing over $240,000 in credit card debt. Regardless of this filing, they still took all 12 of their children to Disney World. All the kids wore shirts in ascending numbers, letting everyone know which child came after which. They even took cute family pictures for the world to see, but it was all a lie. Even though the kids wanted to say something to someone, anyone, they were still afraid to. They were told that a scary group of people called CPS would come and take them away and separate all the kids, spreading the family all over the world with no ability to see one another again. So they kept their mouths shut and enjoyed their vacation. For a while, everyone was happy, but that always changed as soon as they got home. Later that year, David and Louise decided to take their kids on another trip, this time to Las Vegas, so they could renew their vows. The Elvis impersonator who officiated the wedding had no idea that anything grim was happening to the kids. They were a bit awkward and skinny, but nothing terrible. He did find it weird that the kids were all dressed like one another. The girls all wore the same pink and black plaid dress, while the boys all wore black suits with pink ties. They renewed their vows two more times after this at the very same venue, in 2013 and in 2015. In the videos, which have been posted on the internet, the kids are all wearing the same exact outfits at every renewal. But in the last video, taken in 2015, a new addition to the family can be seen. In 2015, the Turpins gave birth to their last child, Jana Louise Turpin. In the photos and videos, you can see all 13 kids emaciated and dancing awkwardly, pretending to be one big happy family, when in reality, they were anything but. No one would be able to tell that the oldest child, Jennifer, was 27 years old in the last video. All the kids look like young teenagers. For Luisa's 40th birthday, they decided to do something crazy as a couple, 
she shared with her sister that they found someone on the internet to have sex with her in a hotel room where David would drop her off and let her do this thing and leave. She later laughed about it, telling her sister that a year later, her and David went to the same hotel, booked the same room to have sex in the same bed, leaving their children home alone once again to fend for themselves. David and Louise had such a hold on their kids that their oldest boy, who was in college, never spoke a word of this to anyone. In fact, he never spoke. His mother took him to and from class whenever he needed to go. The kids in the classes barely remember him. Those who do remember him said that he smelled bad and that his mom was always outside the door waiting for him. A couple of the older kids were broken down enough to be trusted with cell phones, only because their parents wanted to be able to reach them immediately if they needed to. When they were allowed new phones, they kept the old ones around with no service on it. But what they didn't know was that they were able to connect to Wi-Fi. When their parents would leave, Jordan would record videos of herself singing in a bathroom and upload them to YouTube. One of her viewers began talking to her, questioning why she was always uploading at odd hours of the night, even questioning her well-being and living situation. This is when Jordan began to realize that their living situation wasn't normal. By 2018, things for the kids had only gotten worse. Most of them were being chained to a bed for the smallest infractions, and the food became more scarce for them. Luisa's family expressed their desire to see the family and the kids, but of course there were always excuses. Northrop Grumman had told David that his job was being transferred to Oklahoma, which means the family would be uprooted once again. Jordan, the eighth Turpin child, knew that moving only meant a brand new house for the kids to be tortured in. The kids were in such bad shape that the move might actually kill them. Jordan decided to risk her life, even though she feared her parents would kill her if they knew she was going to try to escape. On January 14, 2018, around 5.30 a.m., Jordan snuck out of a window and tried to run, but she was so emaciated that her body would only allow her to walk. She had a cell phone that had no service attached to it, but she was still able to dial 911 to get help. Unfortunately, because their lack of schooling, she had a very limited amount of basic knowledge or speech. Her knowledge was so limited that she was unable to read her address off a piece of mail she stole from the house. She was only able to read the numbers off of it, but that was it. She didn't know what street she was on or where she was since they were never allowed outside of the house. When the operator asked if anyone in the house takes any kind of medication, she told them she doesn't know what medication is. Deputy Anthony Kalachi was dispatched to locate her, and thankfully, he was able to locate her rather quickly. He thought this was just a typical runaway call, so when he found Jordan at 6.11 a.m., he radioed in for backup. When he asked her what her parents would do if they found out she had left, she said, quote, they will literally kill me, unquote. She told him that three of her siblings were currently chained up in the house, 
She said that if they notice her missing, they will unchain the kids quickly and try to cover everything up, which would likely mean they would leave immediately and her siblings would be further abused. Deputy Kalachi said that when he saw Jordan, he didn't think that she was 17. She was so skinny and underdeveloped for her age that she looked like a preteen. Jordan was found in the middle of the street because she didn't know she was supposed to be on the sidewalk. She didn't even know what a sidewalk was. She told the officer everything she could, even showing him photographic evidence and videos. He was appalled and tried to remain calm and assured her that he would help and he was going to get her family out safe. That morning at 7.23 a.m., four officers went to the house under the guise of a welfare check. According to the body cam footage, they knocked for two minutes and ten seconds before Luis finally opened the door. When she asked who called in for the welfare check, they tried to be discreet, but they did reveal that the notification came from someone who lived there, who was found. Luis asked who it is, but they dodged the question and told her they just needed to do a welfare check to ensure the kids were okay. She said she didn't understand why, but they were welcome to check. She warned them that the house was messy because they were in the middle of packing up to move. But of course, they said they didn't mind the mess. They still needed to check. It would later come to light that they had spotted the cops outside their door and instructed one of the kids to hurry up and unlock the chains. When the door was opened, it was more than they thought. The house wasn't just messy from their move. There was trash everywhere, including old garbage, moldy foods, dead pets, and human excrement. So much so that they had to climb over piles of it. Some of the children were free and running around, but they looked just as small and as emaciated as Jordan, and they were filthy. The house was so hot that it only exasperated the smell of everything else. In the middle of their search, Louise kept coming back to her question about who had made the call, but it still went unanswered. Past the master bedroom, they came across the first room, where they find two small girls, both with bruises on their wrists. The police ask the two girls to tell them where the chains are, and without words, they were directed toward the closet where they found the chains. The next room held additional dirty bunk beds, but no chained prisoners. But one of the officers, who was still talking with David and Louise at the front door, noticed that a pile of boxes, which David was leaning on, was hiding another door. Behind this door, additional children, one of them was still chained to the bed, bound by his wrists and ankles. Apparently, he had been chained there for a few weeks. Jennifer, who had been chained for over two weeks apparently, was found still on her bed. At 29 years old, she was just 72 pounds. David and Luis were arrested on the spot and they worked to get the kids out safely. As they were escorting David and Luis to their own separate cruisers, they asked her where the keys were and she told them. Then she proceeded to ask if this is why they were being taken to jail, to which the officer responded, quote, 
Well, it's one of the reasons, unquote. The kids were taken to foster care immediately. David and Louise were charged with 12 counts of torture, 12 counts of false imprisonment, 7 counts of abuse of a dependent child, and 6 counts of child abuse. David was also charged with perjury in regards to affidavits, which he filed with the California Department of Education over their years of living in California, where he stated their kids were being given an education in a private school. Both pled not guilty to all charges. On February 22, 2019, David and Louise changed their pleas to guilty to one count of torture, three counts of willful child cruelty, four counts of false imprisonment, and six counts of cruelty to an adult dependent. Both were sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. All the kids spent two months in the hospital to get them into decent enough shape to get them out of the woods. They were treated for multiple reasons, such as heart damage, cognitive impairments, and neuropathy. In October of 2019, five of the younger Turpin kids were adopted, but they were adopted into a family who went on to further abuse them. The allegations against this family included being hit with sandals and belts and hitting them on the head. They were forced to eat in excess until they vomited, then they were forced to eat that too. The adoptive father was also accused of having sexually assaulted them. Even though the Turbine kids asked social services for help, they still remained in that home for three years. They were charged with multiple counts of lewd acts on a child and false imprisonment. Many people had been donating a lot of money to the family to help the kids get on their feet. But when the Turpin kids asked their caseworker for small funds for basic things, they were denied for a while. It's now come to light that the donations had been misappropriated. The person who was in charge of that was immediately let go, and no further comment has been made. The majority of the Turpin kids have not yet decided to come forward with what has happened to them, but Jennifer and Jordan did give an interview on 2020 with Diane Sawyer. The Turpin 13 are now living healthy lives, trying to become more independent. Jonathan, who has still chosen to remain out of the media, did provide a short interview into what he had been doing recently. He's been in college and will be graduating with his computer engineering degree soon. Jordan has now become a TikTok sensation, and Jennifer is looking to go back to school and become a songwriter. And that is where the case ends. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, there's many more to come. Hit the subscribe button so that you get notifications when new episodes drop. If you have any suggestions, send them my way at grimgossippod at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram at grimgossippod. All websites used for the research is in the show notes if you guys want to take a deeper dive into this case. Thank you for listening. Until next time.